Hello, everyone, and welcome to OHSC Interviews. I'm Vincenzo Kala, and I'm your host for today's episode. Today, I'm happy to have with me the Member of Parliament for Bow River, Martin Shields. Martin was first elected to the House of Commons in 2015 with 77% of the vote. Prior to his career in politics, he served as a teacher and administrator for 30 years and a part-time university instructor for 20 years. He has been a volunteer board and community member on various committees for the city of Brooks, as well as serving as the mayor and a councillor for the city of Brooks. He currently serves as the Conservative Deputy Shadow Minister for Indigenous Services. Thank you, Martin, for your time today, and thank you for joining us. You're most welcome for asking me. We're glad to have you here. We're going to start off the interview with our question and answer segment. And these questions come from the members of our high school team. So the first question is, what skills did you develop as a teacher and administrator that have benefited you as a member of parliament? You know, that's a good question. One of the things I've been able to do in the last few weeks is attend a lot of graduations. I have about 30, some 30 to 40 in my writing. And it's, and it's fun to go back to a high school graduation uh, see the kids graduate and listen to stories, but you also get to watch the administration from the schools trying to make everything perfect, doing it all right, graduation, parents are all there, communities there, and when they get done, I always congratulate them and say, yep, relief, huh? You bet. <laughs> a graduation can be a very, uh, a very um, tough day in the sense of making sure everything's right, but also the evening. There's a lot of grad activities happen in the evening, and principals are really on the nerves edge all night long till the next day and everybody's safe and most people don't understand that in a sense that that kind of um stress is out there <laughs> around grad time you want everybody healthy you want everybody back fine in school on monday morning or whatever is it, wherever the grad occurs but uh there's stress on a school administration on a grad day and night and it's the after you don't have them anymore in your sight that you get a little concerned for their safety. But, the, you know, in the sense of, of that's just a specific incident, uh, it, it, it's similar in the sense you're dealing with a tremendous amount of, of clients in the sense of the actual students in the school, their parents, the community at large, uh, organizations who involved with schools. So you have a lot of pieces moving all the time. I have seen the tracking of the number of times that school administrators have interactions with people and the number of decisions they make in an hour. It is huge. It is huge. The interaction numbers uh, that go on with school administrators all day long and the decisions that have to be made constantly. So it's excellent training for being in politics. Let me tell you, because people said, oh, you've got a hard job. I said, no, what I had was a hard job as a school principal. This one taught me that one taught me how to do this one <laughs> and it's not as stressful as being a school principal well I'm I just graduated high school and um I want to be a teacher uh, I actually I'm in politics right now like I I politics is a great hobby and a great pastime for me and I really like to get involved in them but I want to be a teacher I spent my time over the past couple months doing some volunteering co-op at, at an elementary school and I see how busy and how much uh communication there is between teachers and students and so many of the great administrators and for sure I, I see the parallels I have I have seen the parallels firsthand between uh some politics and some some school as well uh over the past little while and I'm sure yeah it is it's great training, I'm sure, <laughs> for that communication. Yeah, you bet. You bet. 
So we're going to go into the next question, which comes from Basu in Ajax. And he wants to ask, um, if a conservative government were to be elected, and we consider reflect on the past platforms and all that sort of thing, but he wants to ask if a conservative government were to be elected, what work would be done towards building more pipelines and oil refineries to lower gas prices and create more Canadian jobs? We know both of those things right now are huge things in the spotlight. Yeah, it, it's a huge in the sense of we have a tremendous resource base in Canada, resource base, wide resources, whether it's oil and gas, whether it's hydrogen, whether it's helium. By the way, helium is rare in short world supply, and they drill for helium in my writing. Um, and whether you're talking about the rare earth minerals that are out there, Canada has a wealth of them. So the belief in the sense that we are doing it the most environmentally practice, best practices in the world in Canada. I've seen them. I've been at, at any kind of um, drilling gas pipeline that you can imagine. Fort McMurray uh, spent time there. I, I've seen whatever there is to be seen of the oil and gas right to the refineries, to the pumps. So we have a tremendous safety record. We have tremendous supervision of all the processes that are involved in it. So we would suggest that this needs to be something that is continued to support it. The tanker ban on the West Coast would be one of the first things that would go. Uh, that makes no sense at all. We have tankers coming into the East Coast. We have tankers going down the St. Lawrence Seaway, oil tankers. Uh, but yet we're not going to have them on the West Coast. I recently was in Germany meeting with some elected uh, people in Germany, and they are up against the wall. They are looking for Canada's liquefied natural gas. They are now digging up the worst kind of coal you can imagine to keep their industry going. Solar's a piece, wind's a piece, but it's not enough. So we're in the transition period to get to technology that will work differently, but it's going to be decades to get there. So those, some of those same uh, legislatures from Germany came to Ottawa. They came to see me because they'd met me in Germany saying, we need to get the LNG. What, we don't understand what's the problem in Canada. Why can't they build pipelines? Why can't we get these refineries? Why can't we do the things that we need for Europe, your closest market and an ally? I said, go talk to the Liberals and the NDP. That's where the Conservatives are. We are in that. Back seven years ago, we had 16 proposed LNG projects on the books as the Conservatives finished. We have one that's going to be finished in the next couple of years. One, Australia has built a half a dozen mega LNG projects to supply the Asian market. It's needed. Conservative government would support programs that one, are the best environmentally controlled and supervised, but two, we'll get it to market through pipelines, through ports, and the need for it is just desperate out there for it. And... Um, you raised a good point. Like Canada is very clean. Canada is very safe when it comes to doing that. And there are many nations that people get the oil from that aren't clean and safe as Canada to get oil from. So it's important that we look for Canadian oil and gas and Canadian minerals of all sorts, hydrogen, helium, like you said, to sort of go forward. And even if we do want to look towards a future without oil and gas, it's not going away for a while. So we yeah. need to use Canadian clean oil and gas while we sort of look towards that future because it only makes sense and support Canadian while, while we can really. 
So yep. we're we're gonna go into the next question, which focuses on your um your role as the conservative deputy shadow minister for Indigenous services. So I wanted to ask you, what type of work do you do as the conservative deputy shadow minister for Indigenous services? Well, that there's two sides to this. One, I have the second largest Indigenous nation in my writing, Sigsika. It's part of the Blackfoot Confederacy. So I, I grew up in Southern Alberta and we have the two largest nations, Kainai and Siksika, and the third partner, not as big, but part of the Black Confederacy, the Kani. So it's something that I'm familiar with in the sense of growing up in Southern Alberta, familiar with a lot of things that are now, people are just learning about. It was something that I knew about a long time ago. So from the point of view as representing this constituents, I've been involved with Siksika for ever since I've been elected. So that's something that I have been doing, have been involved with. So as an Indigenous deputy critic, the first thing is then you're on the committee to deal with Indigenous, um, the committee to do with Indigenous, right? So we have our two critics on there and then I support those two uh, critics that are on that committee. If they need things done, if we need to find witnesses, if we need to uh, ask questions, I need to fill in. Uh, I need to get them information um, firsthand. I mean, one of our critics is from uh, Northern Saskatchewan, so he has access to a lot of different kind of resources of people there. Um, but one of our critics is from Ontario who isn't directly connected. I brought him out to uh, the riding, had him meet with the council of Siksika, uh, tour in, on the, uh, on the uh, nation, uh, go to the uh, residential school. The residential school, by the way, on this writing, 50 years ago, they turned it into a Indigenous school. And now it's an Indigenous graduate school as well. So they've turned their Indigenous school into something totally positive. But on the other hand, when I brought my staff out, because I'm in this role, we went to that school and listened to an elder tell the history and stories for about three hours. And that's what people need to do. And that's what I do as part of the committee, making sure my staff is fully aware of the issues historical and current. So I make sure that they have that understanding. And and it's important too. I mean, it's, it's something that, um, especially in the past year and a half or so now, since actually just over a year since the, the discovery in Kamloops, and it's been over the past years, it has been brought into the forefront, but even more in the past year. And it's important that we continue to learn that history and that work that you do is, is really important as the deputy uh, shadow minister, deputy critic, just listening to those stories and understanding and bringing those forward to, to the, to the critics and to, to your staff as well. I'm sure that's, that's great for them as well, not just as your staff, but just as, as Canadians, just to, to understand that history even more. Yeah, and you're so right. And one of the things that, that I really work on, and before I was on this committee, same thing, in Heritage Committee, I would find grassroots Indigenous people. They are the best witnesses. I mean, we've got the political organizations of Indigenous, um, AFN, we have Inuit, we have Métis. But I prefer to find the people, the grassroots people, and have their stories, and they're authentic. And when they tell their stories, doesn't matter which party you're in at around the committee, those authentic stories, those authentic information that they bring is, is valued, and it's much better. Definitely. And we're going to go into question four, which comes from Evan, 
from Ottawa. And he wants to ask you, um, as a hardworking MP, how are you able, especially now as we're at the time of this filming, we're exiting Men's Mental Health Month. And this is a good question to sort of bring that into. He wants to ask, how are you able to stay positive and in good spirits, especially when times may be tough as a member of parliament? Um, you know, and, and that's framed in a good way. Um, I'm a optimistic cynic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a, you know, I, I'm not young. I'm not new. I have two university degrees out of the States in the 19 late 60s. I've seen war. I've seen anarchy. I've seen lots of things that are much worse than we ever have seen in Canada. Um, so I've got a background, a political involvement background from a different uh, era. So it sort of sometimes frames, and I often say to people, the sun will come up tomorrow. No matter how bad things are, how good things are today, or whatever's happening, the sun's going to come up again tomorrow. But that doesn't stop me from being a cynic about some things that are happening at the present time. Um, but I think it's that understanding that this will pass too. Um, and, and tomorrow is a new day, and we will start over on it, uh, whatever we're dealing with. Uh, and we can. So you've got to keep, in a sense, the, the frame of mind and I often tell people, I'm like an old dog. He wakes up every day and you can teach him a new trick that you taught him yesterday and he forgot the next day. Um, so I think there's, you, you have to keep perspective. Um, you have to keep perspective. Um, and what has really caused the problem, and I just read a headline uh, a few minutes ago about the continuation of the hybrid parliament. And it basically the headline in the first paragraph was talking about how difficult this makes for a functioning parliament because we don't know each other. And that has been really tough in the sense of having functioning people, 338 people working together in parliament and committees when you don't know each other. When you're sitting in the house, you talk with each other, you talk in the hallways, you talk in committee rooms, you talk anywhere you see each other, you talk in lots of places, and lots of socialization occurs. Robbie Burns Day is one of the best events out there. Being a Scotsman, I am there. Where's my kilt on that day? But there's people from every party at that event. There's lots of those things that used to occur. Lots of reasons why all MPs from all parties would be together. And that's when you get to know people. And that's when you get to be able to talk to them about a lot of things together, about how to resolve things. What, how can we move forward? How can we do things? Hybrid parliament does not allow for that it deteriorates for it. So when you talk about mental health, we've got lots of people who are struggling in a sense of what am I doing here? I just don't see anything positive coming out of this. I mean, it's just such a negative place. And I think that hybrid parliament has created that and will continue as the liberals of NDP have now said, we're gonna do it for another year. It just doesn't make for human relations and development across party lines to get more things done. And that's sad and that's tough. And that we've got people who just don't know why they're there anymore. Um, and especially new people going, this, is, this isn't what I signed up for. Um, and that's a challenge. Especially since now there's been, um, there's been an election since since hybrid parliament started i mean yep. uh since it started in 2020 there was the 2021 election so now there's yep. a bunch of people who are members of parliament who 
some I'm sure haven't even been in parliament as much as they probably hope to have been because of hybrid parliament. So it's, uh, you raise a really good point there, not being able to do those things and that relationship building. And I'm sure that, I mean, we see a lot of division and sparks that fly in the house. And I mean, that always happens, but it's, it's different. I think it, you can tell me, I'm sure, but I'm sure it's different when you have that, like, when you know everybody, like, you know, everybody, and then you talk to them after. Whereas if you're on a zoom call, you just, you talk, you sparks fly and that's it. Like it's, it's over. So there's not, there's none of that connection after or before. You as a high school graduate lived through this for two plus years in the sense of off and on, off and on. So you behind the screen, you can say and do a lot of things and there's no accountability for it. And that's the problem we have. Now, everybody knows that question period is this crazy improv theater gone bad. We all know that from the outside, but the players on the inside, we know what we're doing. That's 338 people know what question period is about. The other 36,000 Canadians think we're all a little crazy. Um, but that's just 45 minutes a day. And it's got a specific purposes, specific reasons that it, it evolves and we know what we're doing there. But like you say, once that's out, it's unbelievable before it starts, how many people are walking across the floor talking to people. I'm talking to ministers, you're talking to somebody else or afterwards you're talking to them. But if they're not there, it's impossible. And that's the frustrating part that you can't talk to people if they're not there. Exactly. And, and we'll leave it at that. That's a story that a bunch of people have experienced over the past few years. And it's happening in the House of Commons as well, the highest legislature in the land. It happens there too. So and I thought uh, just one final yeah. thing for you as students, and I have talked to many people, many people about my fear for the high school population, junior high population, your two age groups in the sense from 13 to 18. I think we have a huge problem coming and I'm fearful for what this has done to students as they've lived through this. So that's Definitely. a concern I have. It's it's because these are the critical years, the fundamental years for, yeah. for development of like social development in schools. And that has been sort of been deprived of except for yeah. the past like six months, even yes. the past three, four <laughs> months, actually past three, right. four months, things have gone back to normal. But other than that, it's been crazy busy and crazy different as well. Yeah. So we're going to move on to the last part, which is advice to the next generation, where we always ask this to everybody to talk about youth involvement in politics more. So the question we like to ask everybody is what should young high school conservatives do in order to get more politically active? And one piece of advice that you would like to give them. Well, as a political activist, <laughs> um, there's, there's two sides to this. I look at getting involved in your community, just getting involved, do something for somebody else in your community. The giving, it, what you're doing here is an example of that. You're, you're setting out a program, you're, you're trying to provide service to people that might be interested in doing this, might be interested in what I have to say afterwards, they may not, but... Um, you're giving of yourself. And I always tell when I speak at, at graduations, I said, your sense of community is important wherever you are. And so as a young person to experience getting involved with, it could be a bottle drive for something. It could be volunteering on a, on a committee of some kind where they're looking for a youth person in a community. 
You could be involved in any number of things. I said, even show up at a council meeting in your community. They'll be shocked that you show up, but um, show some interest in your community. So that's the first part I always say, find a way where you can give into your community by doing something for someone else. So that's important to me in the sense of people understanding how important their community is. Beyond that, in the sense of connecting with, all political parties are looking for young people to be involved in. There's lots of opportunities, all political parties, conservatives as well. They will give you opportunities to go to conventions at, at no cost. Um, they will do all sorts of things for you if you wanna be involved. EDA boards have places for youth guaranteed on their boards. There's just all sorts of opportunities that you can be involved in coming to Ottawa for events. There's just, now I'm sorry to say that Encounters with Canada is gone, which was a program I thought, but there's gonna be other programs that come back to life. Look for those opportunities where, where you can be involved in broadening your political spectrum. Um, and if you go to, when you go to university, it doesn't mean you need to take political science to stay involved in politics and know what's going on in your community. I do have one of those political science degrees, but- um, <laughs> I will too. <laughs> um, it, it, um, so those are the two sides of it. Give to your community, finding a way to, to give to others in your community. But two, there's lots of opportunities that you, you just need to apply for them, ask them, and there, there's lots of doors there that, that are open to you. I've spoken, let's say, to like the, the interns. I think there were 60 or 70 I spoke to one day. That, that's a great opportunity. Um, so there's lots of things you just need to say, okay, I want to find it and people will help you open those doors. Definitely. And there's so many helpful people, so many people that want to help. And if you're a young conservative that just talks to somebody, another conservative, an MP or um, a party executive may know, you may know your local EDA president and say, yeah. hey, I'm a young conservative that wants to get involved. I am sure they will say yes, welcome and you want bet. that youth voice. You bet they do. <laughs> so thank you, Martin, so much for your time today. We really appreciate you being with us and thank you so much. Well, thank you for asking. Um, I know whatever I might say, if it's a value to somebody, that's fantastic. But uh, I appreciate you taking the risk out there of asking me. Well, thank you so much. And we really wish you well in the future and have a great time this summer connecting with the residents of your constituency on parade, this summer break. <laughs> by the way, there's parades and rodeos all over my riding. I had a uh, conservative MP say to me when I said I had to get home on the weekend for a rodeo. He said, well, Calgary Stampede isn't on yet. I said, in my riding, there's 30 to 40 of them, and they have them in places where they're not even towns, like the one I'm going through tonight. <laughs> so it's busy. It's busy for sure. But, uh, but yeah, have a great summer, and thank you so much. You bet. Thank you for asking. And that is it. We hope you enjoyed today's interview. You can look for more videos coming soon. Make sure to follow our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok accounts at Ontario Just Cons for more info about our next interview and for more great content. Make sure to look at our website, OntarioHSConservatives.org, to see more, learn more about us, see our projects, and for more great content. For our YouTube viewers, make sure to like this video, subscribe to our channel, and click to the notification bell so you never miss a video. Podcast listeners, follow us and stay updated with new episodes. We hope to see you all soon. Thank you. Thank you.